the legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to another episode of the Keep It Mysteries. I'm Ira Madison. I'm Cara Brown. And I'm Louis Bertel. 17 S's. <laughs> you would do that every week, aren't you? It's so endearing. Is it? Tell us if it's endearing, guys. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we'll be talking about the biggest mystery to hit Hollywood in decades. Since the Black Dahlia. <laughs> <laughs> Courtesy of Miss Tiffany Haddish's recent GQ profile. Written by Katie Weaver, a genius. And after that, we will dive into celebrities and their thoughts on gun control and the March for Our Lives and a messy situation at BET involving Michelle Obama. (laughs) A messy situation at BET? You don't say. (laughs) And later, an interview with actor Bamba John Bamba on being undocumented and an actor in Hollywood. But before we get into all that, I believe Lewis has something to say to our listeners in Oregon. I do. First of all, Oregon, you are a boring shaped state, but you're a lovely state. And I discovered that on Twitter the other day when when I was talking about Cynthia Nixon, I was attempting to correct media assertion that she was necessarily a lesbian. She's dated men in the past, married to a man in the past. And I, in talking about the statistic of her running for governor of New York, forgot then about Kate Brown, who's the governor of Oregon, and she is a queer woman herself. So I apologize to that state and thank you for being so polite to me. We're actually replacing you with Kate Brown this week. Oh, <laughs> damn it. here. <laughs> Storming out. White wine in hand. All right. Let's get to the big mystery at hand. In a recent interview with GQ, written by the fantastic Katie Weaver, who was, I believe, the person who got The Rock to say that he was considering running for office in her GQ profile of him, dug up some more Hollywood info by getting Tiffany Haddish to dish on that wild night she spent with Beyonce in December after a Jay-Z concert. And we all know Tiffany had talked about this before because she took a selfie with Beyonce and then Beyonce released the song Top Off with DJ Khaled that said, uh, had the line, if they want to hang with the queen, they're going to have to sign a non-disclosure. And people thought that that was about Tiffany because Tiffany alluded to the fact that Beyonce got into a fight with someone at the party. Or that some a woman was flirting with Jay-Z, right? Wasn't that it? And Beyonce kind of like stepped and was like, back up off my man. Which was, you know, I was like, Tiffany, that's the only story you can tell. And then. And then she told more. <laughs> uh, in the GQ profile, she went on to say that this actress also bit Beyonce on the face. Which, okay, is startling. But by the way, this is already where the first mystery is. 
can we characterize the bite at all? I mean, I'm picturing a number of things. I mean, did someone straight up gnaw on Beyonce's face or was it like a quick nibble? I just, I want to know the damage. I bet she went in, whoever it was, went in for like a kiss and then maybe was just getting a little too frisky and was, you know, there at the cheek and maybe did a bite like that. Like in the way that like Courtney Love might jokingly do on a red carpet to somebody. <laughs> it's like, I'm here, I'm taking a bite. Exactly like that. I hope not the nose. No, that's, that's just it. Where is the bite? Yeah. I have lots of questions about well, that. Well, so in the Instagram photo, the selfie that Tiffany posted, Beyonce is hiding her face behind <laughs> Tiffany's hair. So a lot of people believe that the bite was on the cheek. But it's, oh God, you can't tell because it's a successfully cheeky photo. They look yeah. like they're just having a good time. But also, is some of her face missing? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany said that she wanted to fight the person who bit Beyonce and kept trying to come on to Jay-Z, but Beyonce told her that the actress only gets like this when she's drunk and- No, on drugs, right? Oh, yeah. She said that the actress isn't normally like this, but she thought she was on drugs or something. God, that means that they've interacted several times, too. Beyonce characterizes this woman. She has a profile of this woman in her head. I think the other thing is, too, because of that, I think we'll never get real confirmation, not only just from Beyonce, but also from other celebrities who right know, might know because of the drugs thing. Like, if she was just drunk, mm. it's not illegal to be drunk, but she's insinuating that this person was high on something, which makes it more of a mystery because it would be much harder for someone to be like, oh, it was definitely so-and-so because then, like, you know, you could get sued or in more trouble or something like that. It was Ambien taking Sean Penn smoking <laughs> cigarettes and biting Beyonce no, when in I, the parlor. When I read the description of the attack, you know who I immediately <laughs> suspected? Who? Jennifer Lawrence. The patriarchy. I was like, oh. they're coming for Beyonce. <laughs> and then secondly, I also just love how the entire media, the entire celebrity media is now attempting to like solve who this is when clearly we don't have enough clues. Like we're going to stumble across some anagram and it's going to say Beyonce herself bit herself. So the suspects that people mostly narrowed it down to were actress Sarah Foster, who I've literally never heard who of is that? before, yeah. and Sanaa Lathan. And the star of Love and Basketball, everybody. Let's just Brown that Sugar, Indeed. something new. Oh, I love Brown Sugar. But the reason people started leaning towards Sanaa Lathan was, one, you just assume that if Tiffany wanted to fight with someone, she wasn't going to like beat up this random white girl, Sarah Foster. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and there was also the implication that Beyonce knows this person yes. and has interacted with her before. Yeah. And she's interacted with Sanaa Lathan before. Yeah. And Jay-Z even has a lyric in his song, Lucifer, that name checks Sanaa Lathan. So the implication was that Sanaa heard her name. She started feeling like, you know, it was 1998. She was sidling up to Jay-Z. And that is the reason why people think it was her. I just want to close out this mystery by saying that Sanaa Lathan tweeted yesterday, y'all are funny. Under no circumstances did I bite Beyonce. And if I did, it would have been a love bite. I think it's not enough of a refusal. I don't believe it. Well, and I think are... writing, if I did it, like your O.J. <laughs> Simpson, OJ, yeah. basically tells people that you did it. 
I think the beehive should stay in those comments. I think they should keep dropping that bee emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Which reminds me of that time we all thought Marion Cotillard broke up Brad and Angelina, and then like her Insta was filled with the snakes. What a good moment for everybody. Well, next week on the Keep It Mysteries, we will finally solve... Natalie Wood! Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside. And then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Six minutes and about 20 seconds. In a little over six minutes, 17 of our friends were taken from us, 15 were injured, and everyone, absolutely everyone, in the Douglas community was forever altered. 
So last Saturday, Parkland students organized the March for Our Lives, which was a march for gun reform and against gun violence in general. And I know that a lot of the cricket team was there. The Pod Save America boys were there doing interviews with people at a march, and I was there myself. And shout out to, I don't know that her name was in her Twitter profile, but shout out to the girl who went to the March for Our Lives March and had a keep it sign. Yes. Oh, hell yes. yes. That yes. was amazing. Um, Thoughts yeah. and prayers That's, keep it, which, yeah. hell yes. Indeed. <laughs> Thank you for tagging us in that. That was really cool to see. It was super cool. But the March for Our Lives, of course, got celebrities involved because whenever there's a cause, some celebrities want to chime in to make sure that they're staying involved in the news and also so that they don't get dragged <laughs> for being silent. Like Selena Gomez, who Ooh. used to get dragged for like not mentioning, what did she not mention, Pulse before. Well, Pulse, and someone had said something to her about Black Lives Matter, and she responded back on Twitter saying something like, a hashtag doesn't save lives and doesn't do anything. And then she, this past weekend, hashtagged, not just a hashtag on her March for Our Lives picture. <laughs> Tune change there, big girly, isn't it? <laughs> she is really not trying to get attacked online anymore. And I get it. I get it. But you know what? I find her really difficult because she has 135 million followers on Instagram. She's the most followed person on Instagram. And I get that, you know, someone doesn't want to be political or they don't want to alienate fans. But I found in particular, and I'm not saying this any of this is her fault, but during the election, she didn't say a goddamn thing about anything. And I find that, frankly, unconscionable to have the platform that you have and for something that was so important and for the amount of, like, young people that you have influence over to say nothing. So it's sort of not surprising to me that she would kind of flip-flop with her views on hashtags and activism and things like that, because she doesn't seem to have a really strong grasp on what that really means. And speaking of another apolitical pop star, mm. Taylor Swift. Going close from damages, Swift. <laughs> <laughs> she finally said something, anything about politics. I have to all. say, I did not expect this. I did not expect Taylor Swift to Instagram a March for Our Lives photo and to also write no one should have to go to school in fear of gun violence or to a nightclub or a concert or a movie theater or their place of worship. I've made a donation to show my support for the students for the March for Our Lives campaign, for everyone affected by these tragedies, and to support gun reform. Which, again, not a controversial statement, but it just calls to mind... Why hasn't she been like this before? It is not controversial to say Donald Trump sucks. I just do not get where she is coming from. Oh, most do you of the remember time. her picture the day of the election that just showed her voting? Who are you voting for, girl? Right. Well, that's not helpful. It's the day of, bitch. Like, come on. Right. You couldn't have said something just like a week before. Her stance on voting is, I got a sticker. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Bye. She yeah. The photo was literally her like being coy in line for a voting booth. So we actually don't even know who we she We don't even in. know who she voted for. No, she could have just been in her own backyard. What the hell was that? Yeah. She got her five assistants to stand in front of her. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a vote. We need photo. to choreograph a line. 
I will say it's nice that she mentioned, I mean, by church shooting, I assume that's an allusion to Charleston and, you know, because one of the things with the March for Our Lives that was no fault of the actual Parkland students because they were really great about it being intersectional and mentioning that this type of violence has been happening with black students and when, you know, police shootings, that is part of the gun violence problem that we have and that when it happens to people of color does not get the recognition and support that they've been getting. Not everyone seemed to get that memo. And so I'm really happy that they were aware of that. And like, at least with Taylor Swift's like, okay, I mean, whatever girl, you went there with tons of other people. You didn't really stick your neck out here. But it was nice that she alluded to that, I guess. I'm looking forward to her doing her first interview in 14 years. <laughs> like, what if she has two opinions in a row? Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> On the flip side, there was then Killer Mike, who is a member of Run the Jewels and a devotee of Bernie Sanders, who I think you all know how I feel about him, and we're just not going to go there today. But Killer Mike did an interview with NRA TV. Which is where I get all my news. (laughs) They have such Uh, a great news ticker. (laughs) And he talked about gun ownership in the black community, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, Yeah. but as is typical of most things Killer Mike does, it sort of was a mess. Yeah, I mean, he also, so he later apologized, and the thing for me is it feels, he says he recorded the interview a week ago, and then the NRA chose to release it the day of the march, which you got played, homie, and it to me it's like, The most confusing thing, I understand, because he talked about, he's like, you know, Martin Luther King was one of my heroes, and we need to reach across the aisle, and we need to talk to people that are different from us. But part of that is you have to talk to reasonable people. The NRA has not proven themselves to be a reasonable organization. They don't give a shit about black people. And so it's not that you're just having a conversation with someone who has a different point of view or view. You're having a conversation with people who are openly hostile, even to the idea of black gun ownership. And so, of course, they're going to manipulate that or they're going to do something with it that's not going to be beneficial to you because they don't care about you. It's like if I were one of those people who's like, Christianity isn't all bad. Here, I'm going to do an interview with the Westboro Baptist Church where I can express (laughs) my views clearly. You know, it's like, no, wrong. Think about that for two seconds. And they're always trotting out that Dana Lois woman who... That mean Danica Patrick. She seems like a villain (laughs) from Charmed. And she is just always yelling. They haven't once, like mention anything involving Philando Castile, who was a legal gun owner who still got shot in his car. And that's the problem, too, with this video. I mean, you can talk about black gun ownership, but black people tend to get shot before the police can check to see if they legally own a gun. There was also Alton Sterling in Louisiana, who Louisiana is a state where you can open carry a gun without a permit. The police said that he was waving a gun around. Witnesses said that he wasn't, so he probably wasn't. But he had a gun that he was allowed to have. He was shot and killed. The NRA didn't say anything. And there is a history of them not caring about black people. In 1967, when Black Panthers were patrolling their neighborhoods with guns because they were legally allowed to do that, the NRA supported a bill in California that restricted or at least ended open carry laws because they didn't want black people walking around the streets with guns. So they are pro-gun except when it comes to black people. So yeah, while I appreciate the fact that people are trying to 
dive into this conversation now because gun control is a hot topic in the world right now because it seems like we are routinely having reasons to have to talk about it. You know, you just wish people would realize that as much as we want to reach across the aisle, you have to realize that some people don't have good intent. No. Um, the NRA does not have good intent when it comes to ending gun violence. And if you want to talk about gun ownership in the black community or anything like that, you know, you should just do it like, you know. Yeah. And pe- talk just to bla- other black people. Other black people, reasonable people, you know, people who aren't. It's like when Trevor Noah was interviewing Tammy Longbottom or whatever her name was. It's like, she's an idiot. You can't, like, if you're <laughs> going to talk to someone, talk to someone who disagrees with you, who is a smart person, who has just an ounce of compassion, who knows what they're talking about, who is a reasonable person. Like, it's not just reaching for whoever doesn't agree with you and trying to have a productive conversation because it's probably not going to be productive. Yeah. It's not just reaching for the loudest person who doesn't agree with you. (laughs) And more often than not, people only do that for ratings and not because they actually want to have a substantive conversation. You know, Trevor Noah didn't think he was going to have a real conversation with, you know, Tiffany Tater Tot. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Tali Lala. It should be. It shouldn't even be words. It should just be like vague syllables. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> talented man. Yeah. <laughs> the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> the legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. For the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. This past week, BET invited Michelle Obama to a quote-unquote intimate conversation at their Leading Women Defined Summit. And this was a summit where a lot of black women journalists were invited, and one journalist, Robin Given, she decided to take notes during the speech and wrote an article about it for the Washington Post. And Robin is a Pulitzer Prize winner. She is a journalist. She knows what she's doing. BET came out and said that she violated the rules of the summit. They kicked her out because they said that, you know, it was off the record. It was an intimate conversation with Michelle and the women there. However, at no point did they actually say that it was off the record. And... So after a week of being dragged by 
other journalists who were there, Robin got support from the National Association of Black Journalists, who basically just wrote a letter in support of her saying that nothing's off the record unless you say it's off the record. We're all journalists. Let's be adults here. I think one of the things people also need to remember is Robin Given, who is a very talented reporter, but has a history of saying some wild shit. She compared when Beyonce was at the Met Gala in that nude Givenchy gown, she called her and imp- said she looked like an imperial concubine with Jay-Z as the emperor. So she called Beyonce standing next to her husband in a dress a whore. She came out with an article after Serena Williams did her nude pregnancy cover saying, I hope this is the last one when white women do those covers all the time and it didn't sort of spur you to say we shouldn't do these anymore. She said something crazy about Serena's game attire. I think she called it salacious game attire and it was a tight fit and things like that. So You know, I can generally respect her, but I'm not surprised that black women are are, we're just side-eyeing her in general. Because given her history, people were probably all ready to jump on her for you know the littlest slight. But also BT should know her history. So, like, why would you invite the fox into the hen house? I have to say, they really look stupid here. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't state that necessarily, why would she even come? You know what I mean? Like, Well, a- she was on a panel. So that was the argument that some of the other journalists they were making. They were like, you were an invited guest. You were here for a panel. BET paid to fly her out and put her up. They paid for her to be there. And so they were like, you were a guest, you were on a panel, you weren't there as a journalist. Also, BT, the arguments against it being on the record, other than the fact that they never said it was off the record, BET had teased like video clips of it and had recorded it themselves, presumably so that they could use the conversation in the way that they wanted to and release the footage under their own terms. But she scooped them. But she, yeah. And like it's one, BET does look stupid because that's just not how they weren't organized clearly and they didn't lay down the rules in a clear way. And everyone is working off of assumptions. Like the black women that were there who felt strongly about this being a violation of trust, like, that's an emotional response because of the what you feel about Michelle Obama, what you feel about this or this gathering of black women and sort of the sisterhood of that. It's not a response based on just the rules of journalism, unfortunately. So what does this mean that the NABJ backed her, though? You know, it's obviously this is a good thing because she's a journalist. And so even though some of the women might have been feeling some type of way and were upset, you know, that she violated these intimate conversation rules, we still have to protect what we consider journalism, especially today. I mean, hopefully now everyone is really clear on the rules of something being on the record or off the record. Like, unless you say that it is off the record, someone can report about it. So now we all know. And also, again, it would have been very weird if it were totally off the record, too. I mean, it's just I'm begging to hear what Michelle Obama has to say about anything in 2018. So unfortunately, it's among the newsworthiest people to be interviewing. And I'm also just going to say I appreciated the women who at least tweeted at Robin and said their opinion, you know, one on one with her. You know, there was some people who gave an interview in page six. And I'm just like. Don't take the drama that you have with someone else and put it in a place like Page Six, which is basically, you know, the NRA TV of journalism. They don't care about black people either, you know? Also, BET, like, get your shit in order. It didn't need to be salacious at all. Uh Booting her made 
so much more drama out of this than you needed it to be. You look like Sarah Huckabee Sanders trying to kick people out of the press room. And she already got her story. What did kicking her out do? Right. She was like, already printed. Was Michelle coming back? Exactly. <laughs> Part two. <laughs> when we're back, an interview with Bomba John Bomba. I'm here with Bamajan Bamba, actor, filmmaker, and immigrants' rights activist. Yes, sir. What's up, man? How's it going? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. Why don't we jump right in and just talk a bit about you came to the U.S. from the Ivory Coast yeah. in 93, and when the country was you know, facing political unrest. Correct. And you were nine years old. What do you remember most about that time? Well, I was 10, okay. uh, and uh, what I remember most, well, my 10-year-old self left my dog back in Ivory Coast, so uh-huh. <laughs> I have a memory of my, um, I guess it's a Winterheimer, not, yeah, the Winterheimer, the brown dogs, Yeah. so I had one, and we were like best friends, and I remember we were getting in the car to the airport, and I couldn't even say goodbye to him. Yeah, it's kind of a sad memory, but my mom was like, well, he went with other Weinerimers and the owner is like a hunter, so he went hunting, you know, into the abyss or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember that, and I also remember Christmases. Christmases were really big, Papa Noel. We spoke French in Ivory Coast, so my dad was a big fan of Christmas, and uh, we were like ice skating in the Hotel Ivoire in Christmas in Africa. Mm-hmm. So definitely pleasant memories. And you didn't find out that you were undocumented until you were applying for colleges, true? Correct. So yeah. what was that like then knowing that, you know, you'd come over here from the Ivory Coast and there was just that chunk of time yeah. where you didn't know, did your parents just not tell you or were you led to believe something else? Well, for me, it's a little different because, you know, when you're black and you're an immigrant, mm. you're usually coming in through some kind of airport legally. Yeah. So we came in on like visitor visas and applied for political asylum. And I knew because I think maybe a year or two later when I was 12, we ended up like in the courthouse with a judge. And my brother must have been like 13 and he was put to answer some questions and everybody was freaking out. I just remember that scenario, like just the tension in the room and how scared my mom, my parents were. So I kind of knew that we had some kind of immigration process to go through, but I didn't know that it would affect me from going to college. It would affect me to the point where I was at risk of deportation because the asylum case took so long and um, I aged out after it was approved. So I didn't qualify for it. So now DACA has kind of been like a lifesaver. What was the process of you discovering, you know, how does one even apply for DACA or just find out the specifics? Oh, well. Back then, because everything's different now. Yeah, back then, I, I just remember, I mean, when you're undocumented and you're black, like, 
you're walking on eggshells. Yeah. But, you know, being black, you get a lot of attention from police sometimes. And I was in New York. So mm-hmm. every little thing can become like deportation proceedings. So you're like walking this like fine line. So I always kept my ear close to politics mm-hmm. and to find out what new law is coming through so that maybe I can apply. I mean, they've been talking about the DREAM Act forever. And Obama came in and he was like, hey, in my first year, I'm going to give some immigration reform. And we were all like, heck yeah, Obama. Then he came in the first year. He didn't do anything. And all the, you know, undocumented youth were like, we're undocumented. We're unafraid. They're telling their story. They're coming out. So, I mean, I tracked the entire thing until they literally forced Obama to pass DACA. For me, it was like as soon as that passed, I was like, blah, 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 blah. here's my paperwork. Here's my thing. I went to school here. Here's my other thing to prove that I've been in the country. Here's my $500. Here's my biometrics. I mean, I gave him like a real brief, almost like like a lawyer. You know, you kind of have to become so versed at this crazy immigration law because um, your life depends on it. So, What led you to acting? Acting... I guess it's a bunch of different things. My dad was like a a big fan of American films. Anything from, you know, the actions, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Bruce Lee to Sidney Poitier. I remember um, watching Guess Who's... Is it Guess Who's Coming Guess in Dinner? Yeah, yeah, with uh, Sidney Poitier and the scene where he checked his dad. Yeah. You remember that scene? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I must have been like seven or whatever, but I just remember seeing that. I was like, yo you can check your dad like that? And my dad was like this real traditional, tough African father. Mm -hmm. So I just remember that moment has always been kind of like embedded in my mind. Mm -hmm. I even use the monologue today as a monologue as an actor. I guess it was in school, right? I mean, I was being bullied for being African. Being African wasn't cool. I was speaking with an accent. Mm -hmm. And then I did a play and everybody was like, oh, this kid's cool. He's talented. So that kind of like helped me become cool, I guess, and helped me express myself. So that's... During, like, middle school, high school, that's kind of how I fell in love with it. And how does one blend, you know, acting with your activism, and not even just your activism, you know, what is it like being an actor, being on set, and going out for roles knowing that, you know, you're a part of the DACA program? You know, when you have DACA, I mean... You're working legally, so I'm mm-hmm. authorized to work. I like to say that over and over. I'm authorized to work. I'm authorized to work. I'm uh-huh. authorized to work because we keep getting calls from casting. Like, hold up. You're saying you're undocumented? I'm like, yeah, but I'm DACA, meaning yeah. I'm authorized to work. And they're like, hmm, what is that? So when you're on set, <laughs> they're, they're always like, what is that? And I, So it's casting. It's, it's always like, right, what's going casting's on? Casting's like, what's going on? And the poor PA that has to take all my paperwork, I fill everything in perfectly. And I'm like, here, you're going to need this. You're going to need my work authorization. Please take a photocopy of it. And here's my number in case you have any questions. Like, you got to go through all of that to make sure that, you know, you're getting paid. And then also to make sure that people are not doubting that you're illegal to work, not to miss other gigs. And then sometimes I can't go out for jobs that are shooting in Canada mm-hmm. and those things because I don't know, you know, if I can come back. <laughs> right. Well, luckily, you know, you were in Black Panther, which yeah. did not actually yeah. shoot in Africa. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got the call. That was like a huge. Yeah, I was like, man, you know what? For that movie. I may have just been like, you know what? Look, what's meant to be will be. <laughs> I will be in this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I was grateful when it was in Atlanta. 
and I mean, it kind of changed Hollywood in a way. Yeah, what it, black films can do. Yeah, I mean, it's already now in the U.S. the biggest grossing superhero, superhero film, movie, which uh, is awesome. Yeah, Wakanda forever. <laughs> um, so you're in Black Panther. You're in the good place. How has your recent increased visibility helped you or hindered you as an actor now? Well, yeah, I, I guess we, we we'll find out. I, I the visibility's good because people see me just not as an actor anymore. I'm I'm an activist. I'm speaking for, you know, a huge group of people who who need a voice and who are in the shadows. So that's good. I've had like uh directors, casting directors just reach out for projects with characters doing similar things. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you have a great meeting with the director, you think you're going on and next thing you know, a month or two later you get a call from casting. Um so uh how long are you able to be in the country? Can you work legally? You know, so you have to go through that over and over. And at the same time, I've had some um, speaking engagements, like in different universities with uh, different organizations, and I've been able to really be a voice for um, for people that Americans really don't know too much about. What would so, you say is the biggest misconception that Americans have about DACA recipients? Well, let me just say about immigrants, immigrants generally, in general, right? Yeah. Immigrants generally is um, we're we're not grateful to be in America. Mm-hmm. There's this notion that these immigrants are coming here and they're acting like you know America's not good enough for them, but they're leaving their poor country or whatever their no. war torn country. And I'm like, no, I mean, <laughs> we obviously we love being here. We're here. And we're doing all the dirty jobs that most Americans don't want to do. You know what I mean? And people are, you know, getting paid under the table. People are getting exploited, but they're doing what they have to do to make sure that their children have a better life and a better future. I mean, as far as DACA recipients, we're being poised as, like, the elite. But we're just second dreamers because our parents were the original dreamers because Mm -hmm. they went through all that to bring us here to put us through here, get an education, and, you know, we're just trying to give our part. We're just trying to contribute the best that we can. Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. you know, with all the craziness, you know, in the headlines, you know, from Stormy Daniels to everything else in the Trump yeah, administration, uh, how can each of us address Congress's inaction on DACA? Hmm. That's there's just tough. so much going on that's t- that it, so we, you, you sometimes on. forget about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's gun violence this yeah. week. It's something else yeah. the next week. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's I tip my hat off to the youth that were marching this weekend. I mean, I've kind of been waiting for this moment in America for so long where, I mean, there's been movements, right? There's been the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement. But now in this gun violence movement, I just feel like everybody's kind of like on board, or at least there's enough coverage. So I just feel like more people continuing to do that, to put enough pressure on their representatives to represent them for the laws that they care about. So I just feel like, you know, Americans, even me, generally, you're like, ah, politics is frustrating, man. They're just, you know, money hungry. They're just, you know, lobbyists, you know, special interests. But we can't do that. We can't afford to do that because Mm -hmm. when we do that, we get the results that we've been dealing with. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, just continue to put pressure on representatives, 
calling, marching, protesting, and going out to vote. And, you know, thank you for being so vocal about it. You know, I'm sure it is a very terse situation for yourself. Yeah. You know, to put yourself out there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it affects me, literally. Yeah. Like, I... You know, I tell people I really didn't know what was going to happen when I announced my status. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that immigrant l- activist leaders are being, like, targeted by the administration. And, um, you know, I'm not at peace sleeping at night. You know, I could be, I have a family. I could be separated from my family at any moment. So I have to step out. I can't be scared anymore, like I said. And I have to do something. We all have to do something to build the America that we want. Thank you so much, Parmesan, for being here today. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me and for amplifying this message. When we're back, it's time for Keep It. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue Panting, you're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. And now it's time for Keep It, our favorite part of the show. Every week where we talk about the things that we really hate the most in the news. Kara, why don't you go first? So my Keep It this week, I don't know if you, it's, we're in the season of college acceptances being sent out. And there are a lot of these videos where a student is sitting at the computer and she has a bunch of friends or classmates and teachers around him or her, and they log on to, you know, wesleyan.com and learn whether or not they got into the university. They always get in in the videos and everyone freaks out and it's very exciting. And something about these videos does not sit right for me. So I want to say I'm not dragging the teens. I also recognize that probably for a lot of students, there may be first generation college students. So I get why it's very exciting. But it's only ever Stanford and Yale and Harvard. It's never like, let's be really excited for this kid who got into like the University of Oregon. Great. That's an accomplishment. You're going to college. Something about it. I just don't really like. I think that it's kind of a weird message, like really like kids, teens, guys, just go to the best college you can go to where you're not walking out with tons of debt. It kind of doesn't really matter that much, which is something that I've learned. Like it matters, but less than you think. Just, you know, get good grades and don't be saddled with two hundred thousand dollars that you have to pay back so i just don't i think they send kind of a weird message i think the excitement over it is a little 
much. Yeah, I think it glorifies the competitive nature of getting into college, too. It's like there are plenty of people not getting into these colleges, and you're basically making them feel like they missed out on their viral moment. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, and they may, you know, maybe they didn't get in there, but they got in somewhere else, and they'll be just fine. Everyone will be fine. So. De- DeVry is a lovely school. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I went to the University of Iowa, and where am I now? In this room. Exactly. So, exact, so think about your choices and and what happened to me. No matter how many times we try to get rid of you. Lewis, what is your keep it this week? It's somewhat complicated, but the show, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, just wrapped up, uh, American Crime Story. And when that show started, I thought it was a little boring because... The celebrity nature of it, Penelope Cruz as Donatella, uh, Edgar Ramirez as Gianni Versace, I didn't think they made them all that interesting, and so I kind of dismissed the show out of hand. I want to say keep it to people who only compare the show to the OJ show and say it's not as good as that, so it's not good. This is among Lewis the... is coming for Kara. Oh, yeah, here we go. Hey. Here we go. It is among the gayest shows I have ever seen. Like they go into how like, is that a comparison to the People versus OJ? I'm just saying it's like you can't dismiss it because it's not as good as the OJ show when it's doing its own very queer thing, which has nothing to do with it. So I'm just saying it succeeds. But it's on also its own under the. I think people. The reason they're the comparisons, and I have made the comparisons, is because it's under the American Crime Story label. Like it's not odd, I think, to look at those stories to next them. to each yeah. other because he's making them sort of like it's the same kind of idea. Right. And it's like taking a story you're familiar with and finding layers that you didn't know about, etc. But there are episodes where they get into like gays in the military. There are episodes when they talk about just friendships between like 30-year-old gay guys in the 90s that just I haven't seen on primetime elsewhere. Darren Chris is amazing. And by the way, I am not on this planet to be like Darren Chris, wildly talented. He is really, really great on this show. He has spooky glasses like the talented Mr. Ripley. If you're looking for gay (laughs) sociopaths, this is another one in the canon. So I think everybody should give it a look because it's a lot creepier and a lot more explorative of sensitive gay issues than I really anticipated from it. I think it might be the greatest Ryan Murphy TV show to me. My keep it this week is Nate Parker. Oh. Oh, goodness. It actually has nothing to do with his dismissed rape trial and it has everything to do with the fact that he is returning with a LAPD biopic and it's about Ralph Waddy LAPD detective who you know worked on the Watts riots Robert Kennedy's assassination and the Manson murders Parker is writing and directing this film and I'm saying keep it to him because I thought the one thing that we established with Birth of a Nation is that he cannot write and he <laughs> cannot direct. I'm still that not movie over. was awful. I'm still not over like the abject praise that guy and then what it was. That is among- because white people saw it at Sundance and couldn't be like this revolting up. slave movie is bad. Like I, I really do think I think I've said this before, but like considering the critics who first saw Birth of a Nation, you would have had to be the white person that was like, oh my god, look at this like new slave narrative. Yeah, it actually it. sucks. Mm-hmm. And then black people saw it and they were like, what the hell is this shit? Mm-hmm. And then everyone felt free to be like, oh yeah, this movie is just, Nate Parker aside, it's just a bad movie. Yeah, sorry, slave billboards. It wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> I wonder. It made the Nat Turner story also just like wild. 
I mean, that ending, not spoiler, but when he dies and he like an angel appears and then there's a kid in the crowd watching him and then you zoom in on the eyes and then we see that that kid is a soldier in the Civil War. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you trying to say? And it's also not different from any other slave narrative because it's about a man being propelled by seeing black female slaves being raped by a plantation owner. These movies always have like, the protagonist is like, oh, this woman was raped. You know, now I have to stop slavery. You know? <laughs> you know what bores the shit out of me? That we still don't have the definitive, awesome Gabrielle Union project. I mean, I'm still waiting for her to like crack, you know? She is in a home invasion movie that comes out this spring. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. It looks spectacular. Uh huh. Do you think that Mel Gibson is also going to see an early cut of this movie and give him notes like he did on Birth of a Nation? You know, and that's my thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Mel Gibson has his little comeback. And I wish Nate Parker would do that then. You know, start in Daddy's Home 3. He's (laughs) a fine actor. I liked him in Beyond the Lights. But just like, stop trying to write and direct. Stop trying to be an auteur. (laughs) You're not Ryan Coogler. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) Go direct Honey 3. (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to keep it we'll see you next week care a bit beyonce wow (laughs) i was waiting to reveal it but you know what put it out there (laughs) here you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue Panting, you're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.